How's everyone doing today? Can you hear me in the back right and left? You all can hear me pretty well? Okay, okay, good, good. Um, one, to start out, again, if you just walked in, we're kind of late for the announcement, is um, we're having some technical difficulties that we haven't had before. Um, if you're an IT guy, you know that, um, you'll know what I'm, I mean when I say this, is that our flux capacitor has fried, and therefore we have no uh, audio. And some of you are like, yeah, that makes sense. I don't know what that is, but I'm sure it's an uh, IT thing. Anyway, so uh, Lord willing, uh, we are going to get it squared away by next week, and the live stream will be up and um, all that stuff. However, I want to honor the worship team and the sound team for everything that they did this morning. For those of you that weren't here, um, it was a lot. And I want to honor their adaptability and uh, John DeFrew and his team making this possible. And it's, and it's hard. The worship team as well had to adjust, had to adjust as well. And it's so fitting that I'm not saying the Lord caused this technical difficulty, but we know he's going to use it for his glory. And what's so interesting is a line in my sermon is that you find out what your idols are when they're taken away from you. Right? And so I think we have a beautiful blessing, an invitation from the Lord to say, hey, maybe in a way he's clearing out the clutter of the bells and whistles and the video cameras and the sounds because maybe what he's after today is to shake us up a little bit and ask us, hey, what are you seeking when you come here on a Sunday morning? What are we truly after? Do we need all that? Or do we just need our hearts coming to give him praise whether or not the band has amplification or not, right? Or whether or not, or, or am I going to posture my heart to receive the, the word today, the preach word, and posture my heart in obedience, whether Nick has to shout and lose his voice because you can't hear him. That's, I think that's the beautiful invitation, the Lord clearing out the clutter so that we can come and seek him without the distractions of all the technology, okay? So that's the way I see it. So we're continuing our sermon series, diving in here, on the Sermon on the Mount. We are in Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn there. And a quick disclaimer warning, we will be talking today about money. Yes, and everyone got, and it got even more silent uh, here. Um, and more importantly, most importantly, we're not going to be talking about your thoughts or my thoughts about money. We're going to be talking about what Jesus, our King, has to say about our wealth. And at first glance, whenever we kind of are, you know, hearing a, a talk about money and what Jesus says about money, often we can kind of have this knee-jerk reaction. Oh, man, I got to buckle up. There's going to be guilt. There's going to be condemnation uh, through the preaching of the word. I'm going to be kind of, God's going to shake me upside down and get, you know, all the coins out of my pockets because God is just after uh, my wealth. And then if that is what we hear today, then our motivation in regards to gospel generosity will actually be guilt. It's I'm supposed to be like selling my possessions and not laying up treasures in heaven and giving to the poor and uh, funding the war effort for the advancement of the kingdom of God. I'm not doing that. I feel bad about that. So therefore, I'm going to start doing that. Okay, that would be uh, a yoke of legalism being placed over you today. And the beautiful reality of what Jesus is teaching us today is that we are actually invited into something far greater than that being our posture towards wealth. Far greater. Luke 12:32 says this. Fear not, little flock. I, I, love, I love that. You could preach a whole sermon series on those, those four words. It is for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so what we're looking at today is God doesn't need your wealth. He doesn't need your wealth. 
He wants you to let go of your wealth, the death grip we have on our possessions. Why? So that we can open up our hands and receive the far greater kingdom that he wants to give us. And so today we're gathering to worship a God who, who he has something he wants to give us. He's a generous God. He has more that he wants to invite us into. He's not stingy. He's not cheap with his grace. So we come and it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So when it comes to our wealth, what Jesus is saying today is church, followers of Jesus, let go of the death grip, the clenched fist, so you can free up your hands to receive something of eternal value and not temporal value. You can't have it both ways. This is what Jesus is going to say. We're going to see this. You cannot have it both ways. Matthew 6, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot have a death grip, a clenched fist over your possessions and say, Jesus, don't you dare touch my money, and then want him to gladly and lavishly give you the kingdom. All right? It's going to be, it's going to be one of those sermons, all right? Um, so what we'll see today is Jesus Christ has our best interest in mind. And today he's extending an offer to us of something far greater for your life than merely building your life on earthly, temporal, fading investments and treasures. And so today that gracious invitation of Jesus is out of terrible, blinding, enslaving earthly treasures and into a better, more beautiful, eternal use of our wealth. So let's pray. Let's read this scripture and then we'll pray and dive in. Uh, verses we on the screen. Do not lay up tre- for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Father, it's so good for our souls to sit in silence every once in a while. To clear out the distractions and to focus our hearts for a brief Sunday morning on things that are of eternal importance for our lives. So we slow down our mind, we slow down our hearts, we open up our hands and we We say, come Holy Spirit, we're here for you, have your way. Would your kingdom come? Would your will be done with my wealth? On earth as it is in heaven. And so we pray that prayer this morning, Father. What we're gathering here is of far more importance than than just building a brand or filling seats Lord, you've invited us to this kingdom that can never be shaken, and that kingdom is advancing across the face of the earth. So we say thank you, God. Thank you, God, that we can come today and hear, Jesus, what you invite us into, something far better. So come, Holy Spirit, have your way with the preaching of your word. Have your way with our hearts, Lord Jesus. And would Jesus be magnified? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Holy Spirit, would you help us to see Jesus as the treasure that is worth laying everything down to obtain. 
And thank you, God, in your love for us that you gave your son because where your treasure is there, your heart is also and that you love us. And because of that, you gave and you gave the gift of your son so that we could receive you, your king and your kingdom, God. So we love you. We bless your name. Your will be done today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, so the first point that we see is Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount in this passage is inviting his followers out of making terrible investments with their wealth. Don't take my word for it. Look at what he says in verses 19 through 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why, Jesus? Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so kind of our first response here when we see this, and a quick disclaimer, is in December of last year, I preached a sermon on generosity in Advent. It's called Advent, Our Generous God. And so I preached heavily from this text. So for the sake of not being, uh, uh, for the sake of not having repetition, there's things I said there that I'm just going to say, hey, go watch that and go listen to it. And I'm assuming that you still remember if you were there what I said, okay? <laughs> Maybe it's a big assumption, but go back and watch it, okay? Um, so our first response when we hear this is, oh my gosh, so Jesus wants all of his followers to not have any wealth at all, not have a roof over their head, and just to starve and to be poor. So to be a Christian, we can embrace a poverty theology where we say, well, to be a Christian, then we have to liquidate all of our assets and not have anything to share actually with other people, which would then be disobedient, okay? That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is pretty clear. He's essentially saying, don't be a greedy hoarder piling up earthly treasures to the ceiling. Look at what he says. He says, he says, if you are going to be a follower of Jesus, look at the language he's using. Don't lay up treasure after treasure after treasure of things of this earth. What if, crazy thought, we don't need the, the latest gadget, right? The iPhone 27, and then the self-driving car, and then the other car that drives itself, and then the Bitcoin, and then the others, you know, all that stuff. What if we don't need that? Right? What if we don't need to continually lay up treasures on the earth? And the, and the beautiful thing is this, is Jesus isn't just calling us not to do that. He's saying that's a terrible way to spell, spend your wealth. Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to a better way to steward your wealth for the glory of God. There's something better Jesus is inviting us into. He's not inviting us into misery. He's not inviting us into guilt. He, as the, watch this, the best financial advisor to ever walk the face of the earth. Do you believe that, that Jesus Christ is the best financial advisor? I don't care who your financial advisor is. Jesus Christ is the best financial advisor to walk the planet Earth. And we, and we as followers of Jesus want to hear what he has to say about our wealth. And he's saying, if you bank all, if you push all your chips to earthly investments, uh, that, that's a terrible investment. Okay, so what Jesus does here is he presents in a way to his followers kind of two mutual funds that we can invest our wealth in. The first one is the treasures on the earth mutual fund where all your money, every penny you earn is only invested in your kingdom. Is only invested in your kingdom. All the gadgets, all the self-driving cars, the Bitcoin, all the investments, all that stuff. The only problem Jesus says with this is that there's two downsides if you invest all your money in this mutual fund, the, th the treasures of this earth. The first downside is this. It's an extremely volatile investment. It's extremely risky investment. Moth can destroy it, rust, recession, inflation, supply chain issues, interest rates going up. I mean, someone say preach, right? Y'all tracking with me, right? With the timing of this, where we're at globally, right? And then so it's not only is it extremely a volatile investment, Jesus is saying it's completely temporal. Any gain you make on an earthly investment, an earthly investment for you to build your kingdom has an expiration date. It's your death. 
You cannot get any more ROI after you breathe your last breath on your investment. Sure, you can pass some wealth to your kids, but as far as you reaping the benefit of it, there's an expiration date. So you could, so watch this. You could make, you could be super savvy and have, I'm not going to say, <laughs> the spiritual gift of making money is not a spiritual gift. Anyways, but <laughs> of making lots of money, like $500 billion, Jesus is saying, you could do that on this earth, but not know Jesus, not love him, not, not advance his kingdom, and entirely waste your life. It could all be worthless and meaningless because you can't take it with you when you go. And in contrast to that, Jesus offers a second option to his followers. This is the treasures in heaven mutual fund where, where our money, we understand that any penny in our bank account has been entrusted. It ain't our money. It ain't our dough. It ain't our Bitcoin. Whatever you're investing in, it's not yours. It has been entrusted to us by God to be stewarded for what? The Lord's Prayer that Joe beautifully preached on last week. For his glory and for the advancement of his kingdom, right? So there's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with being poor. I think we can get into prosperity theology or poverty theology. It's called stewarding what God has given you for the glory of his name, for the good of others, and the advancement of his kingdom. And so we have to understand that my money belongs to the king and therefore will be stewarded for the advancement of his kingdom. That's the lens. That's the hermeneutic we will go to our budget. Amen? Help me preach today. All right. And what's amazing is the way you fully fund this is that instead of hoarding up your wealth and storing it up, um, the way you fully fund this mutual fund is by giving away your treasures, is by showing the world that you actually have found the treasure buried in a field that you're willing to lay it all down just to purchase that field because you found Jesus. And when you find Jesus, you find everything you need everything you need. And so that looks like uh, tithing, tithing your, your money, your first and your best, the principle behind tithe. We all get mixed up in, uh, you know, fighting over each other about percentages. A tithe is essentially your first and your best. And the bottom line is this, is that we're all tithing to someone or something. We're all giving our best to someone or something. And so when that paycheck comes in, what cut immediately goes to God? What percentage? I mean, the government gets their hands in there, your mortgage, your retirement, your groceries, all that stuff. Does, does God get the worst and the last? Or does God, when your paycheck come in, does he get a certain percentage to honor him, to worship him with reverence and awe and saying, this comes from you. I give it back to you and I honor you with my wealth. Okay? First and best is your tithe. It looks like giving to the poor. It looks like having maybe a hospitality line in our family budget. Uh, it looks like maybe capping how much money goes out to spend on ourselves, on ourselves so that with the excess, we can advance the kingdom of God. That's what it looks like. It looks like having a kingdom perspective with our monies. And the two benefits, monies, with our money, the two benefits, what's great about you guys not being able to hear me is you can't hear when I say stupid things. All right. So the two benefits of choosing this mutual fund is Jesus says, there's no risk involved. Every earthly investment, there's a risk involved, right? You can, uh, you can have your retirement account and say, well, this is the high risk or this is low risk, stocks, bonds, uh, real, all that stuff, right? Jesus is saying there's zero risk involved. No moth, no rust can touch the reward that you have stored up for you in heaven when you give to the poor, when you give to the kingdom, when you give to the missionary, when you welcome the refugee in your home. No one and nothing can touch that eternal reward. And so instead of us stacking earthly trinkets on top of each other, we're stacking good work upon good work upon good work. And we're going to talk about what those treasures are at the end, so just bear with me. We're, tracking he we're, we're, we're stacking heavenly investments 
on top of each other as God's people. And then the second benefit of this mutual fund is that the payout, imagine compound interest on, a, on, a, on an account that never ends. It's an eternal payout. The benefits, you reap that harvest forever. There's no expiration date for that ROI. You'll never lose the reward or the gains you make on that investment. So all that to say, what Jesus is doing is he's presenting two options and he's saying, follower of Jesus, which one do you want to live for? Which kingdom do you want to invest in? Like your heart of hearts, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is not about your money. It's about our hearts. It's about our hearts. It's about Jesus. It's us pounding the floor and us saying, Lord, help me to repent and let go of the death grip that I'll be the first to say I'm the chief of sinners. Has. That's quenching my love for you. That's quenching my love for the kingdom. My love for the lost. Come Holy Spirit and help me prioritize what you prioritize with my wealth. And the best financial advisor on the planet earth is telling us, telling us in the best sermon ever preached, listen, my followers, don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. It's all fading. I can see, the best financial advisors can see something you can't see. You know what I'm saying? Like I had a conversation with a really good financial advisor, uh, extended family in April. And he said, don't, he said, hey, he said, hey, 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 hold on, hold on. Don't do anything yet until the first week of May. That dude saved me like thousands of dollars, okay? Because he could see something, a good financial advisor, they can see something you can't see. They can see something you can't see. Jesus has passed through death, resurrected into glory. John 14 has prepared a place for us, and he's saying, trust me on this one, church. Trust me, let go. Steward it. Give it back to me. Use it for the advancement of the kingdom. Watch this. You won't regret any penny spent on the kingdom of God, is what he's saying. You won't regret any penny invested, okay? So the second thing Jesus invites us out of, his followers out of, is walking in utter darkness because of our wealth. Look at what Jesus says in verses 22 through 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What Jesus is saying is what we fix our eyes upon, what we fix our gaze upon has direct correlation to the spiritual condition of our hearts. What you value, you view, and what you view, you value. A direct one-to-one -one correlation of what has your focus to what's filling your heart. And the example he uses is a lamp in a house. And he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And quick side note here, this, what's wild is that this verse here is often taken out of context to talk about lust. Sermons on lust or referencing lust. Jesus here isn't talking about lust. He's talking about money. He's talking about treasures. He's talking about being obsessed with our possessions is what he's talking about here. And so if we were to ask, well, what's the purpose of a lamp in a house? The purpose of a lamp in a house is to displace darkness so that you can see. And so if you have no light in your house, it means you have no sight so that you can no longer perceive reality accurately. You all know this to be true. Like you're walking your house during the daytime. That's well and good. You have a light that's giving brightness through the windows, all that stuff. But when you wake up in the middle of the night, I have a bad habit of like waking up at 1 a.m. starving. So I'm like, I do a run to the kitchen. Amen? All right. Let me get some chocolate. Mm, feels good. And I'm back, I'm back sleeping. Okay? And as I'm walking and stumbling through a house that I know, I know where stuff is, all of a sudden like 
You know, I'm like, is that chandelier like an intruder? Like I'm squaring up to like the chandelier and you know, like what's going on? And then I'm stubbing my toe over the, the, the table, the coffee table and so on and so forth. I know what's there. The reality hasn't changed, but the, 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 the darkness of the room has changed so that I can no longer uh, perceive reality correctly. There's, there's a, watch this. There's a confusion that darkness brings to what is, what was normally, if light shines, is completely clear, crystal clear. There is a confusion, there is a murkiness, there is a cloudiness of vision, so that which you were once, once totally sure of, you now are doubting. You know, do you see the danger? You see what Jesus is getting out here? And then, and, then, and then maybe not just murky, but maybe totally blinded to the glory of the gospel. And it's solely due to the amount of light that's coming in to that house. So what Jesus is getting out here, he's saying your love of wealth, uh, our obsessions with our possessions can bring darkness into our redeemed hearts so that we forget who is of ultimate importance in our lives. So we forget what is of ultimate importance in our lives. And once you're blinded, my, 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 you're in serious danger. So I used to do youth ministry before I became an associate pastor for about six years, a little bit longer than that as a volunteer leader. And we would take these retreats, whether we go west to the mountains or east to the beach. But on this trip, uh, and if you've ever done youth ministry, there's always one kid that the Lord provides to keep you humble. And uh, <laughs> some of you are like, amen. And there's a reason I was bald at like 23, okay? Is, and I, there's no live stream, so anyways, they're not going to hear this. But I love these guys. I love them, right? And you also find out the most annoying kids have the, have the, have the hardest home situation. And then, you begin, and then the Lord begins to soften your heart and see how much this person, the reason they're engaging you and doing what, they're, what I'm about to share you is because they, they desperately need attention they're not getting at home. Okay, so I'm on a road trip. We're, we're going to an event. I'm on a highway, mind you. So we're going 65, 70 miles an hour. We got, we've rented a 14-passenger van. I'm at the helm. Uh, there's, there's precious sons and daughters of the parents that, that, that they've entrusted to me. You know, they've entrusted their students to me. And we're driving. And out of nowhere, I, this is zero exaggeration, okay? I am driving. And out of nowhere, all of a sudden, I go completely blind on the highway. And an individual I will not name unbuckled his seatbelt and put both of his hands over my eyes as I was driving the car. Now, here's the irony of it. He did this, he did this in a car he was seated in. You guys tracking with me? Like, bro, you have a vested interest not blinding the driver of the car you're in and the car you just unbuckled your seatbelt in. Like, do you not, you not see that? Like, you should totally do junior high ministry. It's a blast. Trust me, I love it. Uh, that's how dangerous losing your sight. And watch this. What the devil can never do is, is dim the lights of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he can get his nasty hands over your eyes and blind you to its accurate glory. And, and don't take my word for it. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of the, watch this. What is, what, is he, what, is, what is Satan after? He's after blinding you. He's after filling your heart with darkness. He's blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Why? He can't change the glory of God. He can't change the beauty of Jesus. He can't change the light of the gospel to keep them from seeing it, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And exhibit A of how the devil uses not just to put a veil over unbelievers' hearts, but believers' hearts is Revelation 3, the church at Laodicea. Exhibit A, Revelation 3, 15 through 20. This is Jesus writing to the church at Laodicea. He says, I know your works. 
Look at what wealth. This is why wealth is dangerous. Again, it's not about percentages of X, Y, and Z or whatever. It's about your heart. And that what the devil will use whatever he wants to use to blind you to the reality of the gospel. And, and one of the primary ways he does it, I think, in the Western church is our wealth, is our wealth, is our love of comfort and security that wealth brings. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I spit you, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, watch this, I am rich. I've made some really wise earthly investments. I've prospered. I need nothing. See, that's what wealth, that's the lie of wealth, is we save, we save, we save, so we can finally get to the point where we say, I, ha I need nothing. And we don't have to rely on God. We don't have to seek him as our provider. We don't have to trust in his provision. That's, what wealth, that's the lie of wealth. Not realizing, watch this, Jesus saying, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor. There's that word blind and naked. But see, Jesus doesn't just heap condemnation upon them. He invites them to a better investment. You tracking with me? Watch this. He says, he says, I counsel you to purchase something else. I challenge you to a better investment. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. A much better investment. Why? So that you may be rich. Rich in what really matters. Rich in the joy of the Lord. Rich in the kindness of God over your life. Rich in, rich in the exaltation of Jesus in and through your life with your wealth. Rich. So that you actually may be rich in what actually matters because it's the Father's good heart to give you the kingdom. In white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And watch, look at the heart of Jesus to a bunch of wealthy Christians who have relegated Jesus to the front door. They can't see him at the front door. They can't hear his knocking. Why? Because wealth has blinded them to their desperate need. And Jesus tells them this. Jesus tells them this. I love this. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So that you may see what is of ultimate value. That I am worth everything. And your wealth has kept you from me. Your wealth has kept me. And then Jesus says this. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. And behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And so all that to say, again, the invite from Jesus is I don't want my people walking in darkness. I don't, walk, I don't want them blinded to the beauty of the gospel. I am the light of the world that incarnated in the world so that we would no longer walk in the ways of this world and walk in darkness. And so the invitation for us today is to be zealous and repent. And the million-dollar question is to ask this. Holy Spirit brings conviction. It's one of the primary things the Holy Spirit does. And that's the biggest blessing the Holy Spirit can give us because often we're blinded to areas in our lives uh, that are not fully surrendered to Jesus. And that's very dangerous. And so the million-dollar question that you can ask the Holy Spirit today is, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come? And let me say this accurately. And show me where my wealth has put a veil over my eyes so that I can no longer see you rightly. Show me, Lord, those areas where maybe it's not, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the retirement or whatever, but maybe some earthly pleasures or wealth or, or maybe it's something else today. But if we go before the Holy Spirit and ask him, Lord, would you bring conviction to reveal certain things in my life, to bring healing and bring repentance, he will honor that request. He will honor that request. And Jesus invites us to be zealous and to repent. And so the third thing and the last thing that Jesus is inviting us out of is he's inviting us out of being enslaved by our love of wealth. And again, I said this in December, wealth, money is not evil in and of itself. First Timothy 6 makes it crystal clear. I'm, I'm basing a lot of this on a sermon I preached a couple months ago. 
is, um, is uh, it's the love of money that really ruins your heart. That's what it is, okay? And that's what Jesus is about to tell us. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so two things Jesus makes crystal clear here is that love of money can actually enslave us. He personifies money here in a way, and he's saying essentially that our pursuit and our love of money can become a tyrannical master over our lives. And then the flip side, if that's who we bow down to and serve, then the flip side, the second danger is this, is that your love of wealth can cause you to despise God. That's a really big deal, follower of Jesus. That's a really big deal, really big deal. If Jesus says that there is something in our lives that can lead us potentially to despise the living God, our antenna goes up and we say, Psalm 139, search me, O God, and see if there's any unclean way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting life. And so every temptation we face in whatever matter, but also with our wealth, is watch this, it's a crisis of allegiance to our King Jesus. It's a crisis of allegiance. Jesus makes it clear in his word that from Genesis to Revelation, Old Covenant and New Covenant, is that his people would be blessed to financially be a blessing to those around them. That God will financially prosper us for the sake that we would be a blessing to others and not hoard it up for ourselves and adopt some demonic health and wealth prosperity gospel. If the Lord gives you anything, surely he did not intend that just for you. That's just for us to share that. And so every temptation we face when it comes to how we're going to spend our money is a crisis of allegiance. Where we're going to, Are we going to say, Jesus, you are Lord over my money? Or are we going to bend our knee to the prince of the power of the air and say, devil, you're Lord over my money, and I'm going, to, I'm going to invest with you in the earthly mutual fund? And again, there is nothing. Let me just see. I covered all these disclaimers in December, but I just want to make sure that there's nothing wrong with, with, with stewarding your money well and having a retirement house, and having investments. There's nothing wrong with that. You should not feel guilty for that. Um, we are called to steward, and the scriptures say, I believe it's in 1 Timothy, that if you cannot provide for your own household, you are worse than an unbeliever. Because some of us maybe want to hear Jesus say, do not lay up treasures for heaven. You say, sweet, I don't need to have a job. I don't need to bear certain responsibilities to provide for my family. This, this will work. I'm, I, I can jive with this, right? And that's not at all what we're called to. Work was in the garden before the fall of man, okay? Let me just put that there, all right? And so every temptation we face is a crisis of allegiance. And what Jesus makes clear in our scriptures is this, is whatever has, please listen to this, whatever has your deepest heart's delight has you, has your life, is your master. I mean, Jesus puts it this way, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There your king will will be also. There your Lord will be also. Where your delight is found, so is your allegiance to what you delight in. Where your inner joy is found, there is your master, the one who directs you and guides your steps and leads you to what you believe is true life. I mean, where my coffee addicts at? Right? Like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, meddling here. This is, if you know me, like, <laughs> like I, if I travel anywhere, I'm bringing freshly roasted coffee and a pour over. Thank you and amen, right? But that, ha that inner delight makes me make some certain decisions where I make certain purchases and I pack and I prepare, right? Whatever has our joy has our hearts. And you want to find out, again, you want to find out the strength that an idol has. You want to find out the strength that money has 
on your life. Just wait until the Holy Spirit says, and I'm taking that from you, and it leaves. And that's what this whole craziness for these last two and a half years has been, is the Lord shaking us of all of our idols we didn't even know we had, and all of a sudden they get taken, and we are freaking out. Because all of a sudden we realize, oh, Jesus wasn't my refuge and my strong tower. I didn't actually trust in my father to provide for me. I, I trusted in my 401k to provide for me. My trust, was, was, my trust was, was, was my allegiance was somewhere else for my provision and my future. It wasn't securely in the hands of my father. You want to find out the strength an idol has, just wait till it gets taken from you. Um, and so, for example, when it comes to this relationship between allegiance to um, the father and our wealth is, um, I have three kids. I love them. They are amazing. Are they here with us? Okay, they're in kids' church. Awesome. Um, so, <laughs> uh, about a year ago, my little daughter Stephanie, she was three, and any parents of multiple kids, um, getting your kids in and out of a car seats is one of the hardest things on the planet Earth, all right? It's like you got to put your mouth guard in. You got to get ready for some jujitsu and, you know, like underhooks, and, you know, they always got something in their hand. So there came a time where we were at the grocery store. I forget where we were coming from, but we pulled up to uh, in front, right in front of the townhouse, and all the, everyone in the vehicle has exited, and they are in the building, like mission accomplished, except for one, sweet little Steffi Grace. And I don't know if this was a new toy she got or a toy that she just got at the store, but she had this little doll or teddy bear or something. And she had a death grip on it. She was clutching it, okay? And I'm trying to ignore what she's holding onto, and I'm trying to just get her out of the car seat. And so I'm like unbuckling stuff, trying to loosen it, all this stuff. And then finally, I'm like, I take a step back, and I, and I go, I go, Steffi, until you let go of that, your father cannot get you out of that seat. I, I, I can't do anything until you let go of that death grip. Know that it's your father's great desire to give you the kingdom. I don't want you to, I don't want to leave you here in this car in the middle of summer um, because you, you don't want to let go of this treasured possession of yours. But I'm telling you, you need to trust me on this one. Hand that over to me and, and you'll get out of bondage. That's how it works with our wealth. That's how it works. The father, it's his good desire. Fear not, little flock, with your financial future. It's the, we, all of us, mark my words, and followers of Jesus Christ, we have a fantastic financial future. We have a better financial future, a kingdom that will not be shaken forever. That's our retirement. That's where we bank our hope, okay? It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, and the way he does that, first and foremost, he says, loosen the grip on your wealth. I want all access to every room of your house. I want access. I want access because I know what's the best use of your wealth. Um, and that's the question I think that is posed to us this morning is, is what, what would we rather have clinging and clutching to our wealth and stuck in the car seat or, or freely obeying the will of our Father with whatever may come or go? That's what's extended to us in being followers of Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 2 shows us this. There's a simple truth um, is this, is that the only way wealth will lose its death grip on our lives is when our joy in knowing Jesus surpasses the joy we find in earthly comforts and treasure. Do you guys catch that? It's when the joy of knowing Jesus surpasses all other false joys that wealth brings us. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 2. Uh, the believers, the Macedonian believers. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, watch this, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into what? A wealth of generosity on their part. 
Notice the text didn't say their abundance of joy in Jesus and they gave out of the abundance of their wealth. Sometimes we might think, okay, well, if God, if you just provide more, then I'll start to give. Actually, no, the way it works is if, if, if our hearts, if we get more joy in Jesus, abundance of joy in our hearts, the light of the gospel is shining and displacing the darkness in our hearts, that actually is going to fuel our generosity more than a couple numbers on a screen. Out of the abundance of their joy and their status and their relationship with Jesus, they gave out of, their, the, abund- out of the abundance of their poverty, which, which ended up being an overflow of wealth of generosity on their life. So when we see Jesus more rightly, then we'll gladly give in whatever circumstances say and so i'll call up a band i'll wrap up with with this is today transit family um there's something far greater that jesus is inviting us into i know uh whenever we talk about wealth it's a heavy message maybe kind of controversial i personally don't like talking about wealth and uh as john scott said a couple weeks ago is that we started mentioning the giving box and for a year and a half i never once mentioned that we had a giving box or asked you to give it feels weird i don't like it and i know there's a lot of baggage from televangelists cutting open fruit and saying, sow your seed in my ministry in the Lord, you know, like all that nonsense, okay? Um, however, we as the elders, I'm under the, uh, I'm accountable to the elders, and we decided uh, a couple weeks ago in one of our meetings that, hey, we're going to talk about this, and we want to steward you and shepherd you well to make sure that we're worshiping the Lord with our, the wealth he's entrusted to us. And so Jesus is inviting us not into guilt, not into condemnation, but into something far grander and far more exciting. He's inviting his followers to reorient our entire lives on this new kingdom that he, through his death and resurrection, has purchased for us. He's inviting us out of wasting our lives. He's inviting us out of wasting our wealth on terrible earthly treasures that will fade and will pass away. And he's inviting us to invest in a kingdom that can never be shaken secure and eternal. And Hebrews 12, 28 says this, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. We belong. Our inheritance is the presence of God forever, the new heavens and the new earth. That's what awaits us. That's what's in the windshield of our lives. And often I think we forget, let me check the time here right on time. Often we forget our pilgrim identity as believers of Jesus Christ. We forget that we are on a journey from the the world that is passing away to eternal glory. Often we forget that the second you profess faith in Jesus Christ, at that moment, immediately this world becomes foreign soil to your feet, and you are a sojourner, and you are an exile. You do not belong here. You're temporarily away from your homeland. There's a better place you're going. And so this week, John Scott next week is going to fill up fill the pulpit, step into the pulpit, because I'm going on my 10-year anniversary. It's going to be amazing, okay? And so, yes, Jen and I are super excited, and we're going to my parents' cabins in the Shenandoah Valley for a few days, and it's going to be amazing, but watch this. That is what awaits us. We don't we don't see it yet. We're not there yet, but we take it in faith that starting Tuesday afternoon, we will be there. And so there's decisions we're making right now to invest in that time to prepare. Oil's getting changed. Uh, Jen and I, we're we're talking about what we're going to do. We're excited. We're planning. about. We're leaving things behind. We're not spending our money on certain things. We're actually spending, uh, using our wealth to store up for that moment that is coming. And that's what Jesus invites us into is, hey, what's in the windshield of your life? And live your life in light of that by storing up not treasures on this earth, but treasures in heaven. And now the million dollar question, and I'll conclude with this, and then we'll pray. Nick, what in the world are the heavenly rewards? 
What are those heavenly treasures? Tell us. Just tell us. We want to know. And I'm here today to tell you, I don't know. And open up your commentaries, and they don't know. Okay? Even if they think they do. There's a ton of debate on what it is. Right? But here's what I do believe. It surely isn't nothing. It surely isn't nothing that what Jesus is clearly teaching, no matter as far as the specificity of what it, how it manifests, we're not sure what Jesus is crystal clear on, is how we choose to spend our money here and now has eternal consequences. That's what he's saying. And what if, now what if, just imagine with me, I'm not saying I got this from a higher authority, I might be wrong on this, but what if this is the eternal reward? And I had the sense when I was praying this morning about this, I had the sense, Nick, tell him I'm waiting for him. Tell the church I'm waiting for him. There's coming a day, Jesus is not waiting a condemnation with his arms crossed, but he's waiting. And what if, what if Jesus is so excited to begin to make some introductions for you? Hey, 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 Nick, I want you to meet someone. I don't want to use myself as an illustration. Steve, hey, Steve. Come here, come here. I want you to meet someone. Here's a sister in the Lord from Zambia that you've never met. But through your decision to not invest in this earth that's passing away, but to financially support missionaries, Brittany and Jared Larson, this this sister in Christ from Zambia is with us today. And she has something she wants to tell you. Maybe with tears streaming down her face, she says, thank you! Western Upper Middle Class Church, thank you for funding the war effort so that the light of the glory of God through the preaching of the word was able to happen where there was no gospel because you didn't go and buy the next beautiful thing, but you sowed in faith to the eternal kingdom. And I say thank you, Western Upper Middle Class Church, for choosing to store up treasures in heaven. Never met them. People will never meet brothers and sisters in Christ in Clarksville, Tennessee that our church supports that Jesus will introduce us to and say, this is the reward. It's a much better reward. Let that be said. Let that be said of what we truly value and prize as believers. That moment where Jesus takes us by the hand and say, hey, there's a lot of people I want you to meet and there's a lot of people that want to say thank you for not pushing all your chips on the table on that world that was passing away, but taking it in faith and believing what I said. You will not regret it. So let's go for the Lord in prayer. Holy Spirit, it's a heavy message, and I I just pray now that, Lord, if there was anything spoken that was not of you and not of the Spirit of grace, I just want to break that off in Jesus' name. Father, oh, we just say thank you, God. say thank you that you have not been cheap with us. You've not been miserly. You haven't been stingy. Father, oh, Father, you did not have a death grip on your son. Say, don't you dare go to those people. You're staying here with me. But Father, you opened up your hands. said, my beloved son, Jesus, go. Save them from their sins. Save them from the clutches of the demonic. 
The only reason, God, that we can open up our hands today and say, here I am, all of me, all of my wealth is because, Father, you first opened up your hands to give. And you loosened the grip on your son. You left his throne. He dwelt among us to free us from slavery, from eternal bondage. How can we not give to a God like that? How can we not gladly lay down our lives and say, what do you, what do you want from here on out? My life is yours. And you did it because you love us, God. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. For some reason, while we were sinners and we were blind, we were walking in darkness, you came out of love for us and gave your one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so we celebrate the gospel. We celebrate your work, God. We celebrate your generosity, Father, that you're a God who's opened up his hands to lavish grace upon grace upon grace upon our lives. And Holy Spirit, it's going to be different for all of us. Holy Spirit, show us, Lord, how we, begin, how we can begin to honor you with how we view our, your wealth that you've given to us and how we use it for the advancement of your kingdom and the glory of your name across the face of the earth. And all God's people said,